either at one end of Nerf or the other. Time to choose. So you better think about a Nerf bow and arrow, or a Nerf nipple storm, or a master blaster, or an arrow storm, or a very good hiding place. Don't you get it? It's Nerf. Or nothing! Nerf Master Blaster, Nerf Arrow Storm, and Nerf Missile Storm, each sold separately. Here it comes, the podcast that's so explosive, so intense, and so powerful, its only limits are your wildest dreams. Don't you get it? It's when we were young or nothing, you weenie. <laughs> and wait, there's more. They really talk. I'm Chris, Prince of Eternia and defender of the secrets of Castle Grayskull, the podcast host who had fabulous secrets revealed to him the day he held aloft his magic sword and said, I have the power! (laughs) I'm Seth, the host most likely to have some assembly required. And I'm Becky, and now you know, and knowing is half the battle. (laughs) Before we start, I'd like to warn parents that this episode contains a choking hazard for children (laughs) under three. Because in this episode, we are talking toys, which, for better or worse, were mostly packaged and marketed in a very gendered way during our childhoods, which explains why these episodes of the podcast are also being packaged and marketed accordingly. Toys for boys and toys for girls. We will, of course, discuss the ways this binary approach did or didn't work for us when we were young, as well as our memories of playing with these toys, watching these commercials, and viewing the various TV shows and movies based around these toys that were created completely independently of corporate mandates to sell plastic wares to impressionable young minds, of course. And because boys rule and girls drool and also have cooties, boys are going first. First is the worst, second is the best. Mm. We need a fact check on that one. (laughs) So this first episode will focus on the various balls, vehicles, and weaponry hawked to boy children of the 80s and 90s, before our next episode turns an eye on the dainty and delicate playthings aimed at lovely little ladies. (laughs) And now, to kick off this discussion, I am going to say something I have been waiting seven years to say on this podcast. Autobots, roll out. (laughs) (laughs) I was really on the edge of my seat. (laughs) Honestly. Batteries not included, Becky, Seth, and Chris sold separately. Back in the DeLorean, a Saturday morning Cause we both be cynical or radical But was it good cause we were young? Was it good cause we were dumb? Do we think it suddenly sucked? Now we're cheated and all grown up And there was so much that we loved Do we think it'll make the cut? Will it be a fantasy or will it be fun? A decades later will it still hold up? And this is when we were young When we were young Earlier this summer, we saw the release of Transformers Rise of the Beast. Did we see it, though? And I was about to say, (laughs) by we saw, I mean, most of us didn't see, but one of us did. Oh, you saw it? Was it me? Was it? I don't know. I I think only you can answer this. (laughs) This month, we will see the release of Barbie, the first live-action Barbie movie directed by Greta Gerwig, who apparently loves all shapes and forms of little women. (laughs) Which stars Margot Robbie as the titular skinny blonde and Ryan Gosling as Ken. Ah. So this is the summer of Hasbro versus Mattel, Barbie versus Transformers, a robot who can change into a semi-truck versus a school teacher who can change into an evening look for a date with Ken. I think they're all versus Super Mario, honestly. <laughs> that is true. 
So this is our Toys of Summer episode, and it's impossible to talk about these brands and these toys without talking about their marketing. So get ready for a lot of commercials and a lot of jingles that have already been stuck in our heads for days and days and days. I feel like the marketing is like 50% of the experience of these things. It's about (laughs) 82%. And I'm going to say right off the bat, there are basic facts in my life that I do not know, and there are secrets and mysteries of existence that I will never unlock because my brain has reserved the space for the purpose of remembering these jingles. You can't forget the My Little Pony jingle. Everything else (laughs) is expendable. So I think we'll have a lot to say about how much the choices of what we played with was shaped by our own inherent personalities and desires and how much marketing may have influenced and skewed the things we wanted to own and chose to play with. So to set the tone, I think the ultimate triumph of marketing to kids is probably the Happy Meal. No. (laughs) And there's probably no better encapsulation of how toys were gendered during our childhood than the Barbie Hot Wheels Happy Meal binary, which told us dolls are for girls, cars are for boys. I'd like a hamburger Happy Meal and a hot new car with a 500 cubic inch engine. I want a hamburger Happy Meal too and a totally cool friend with beautiful long hair who let me style. No problem. Now at McDonald's, kids can get a totally cool Barbie miniature with hair you can style. Or a fast, new Hot Wheels racer. Eight of each to collect. One with each Happy Meal you buy your kids. That was fast. Definitely. What you want is what you get at McDonald's today. Very much a staple of our childhoods growing up and still is pretty much at least up until a few years ago. I think there's a little more like awareness and sensitivity around marketing things like that, but it's still happening. I want those Barbies now. (laughs) (laughs) But you had them already. I had them and they've gone into the abyss and just looking at them gives me like a good feeling. Is there like a German word for like just looking at something and you're like happy? Because I don't know if it's nostalgia. It's nostalgia. But nostalgia. (laughs) literally, no, that is literally what the word that is. I thought nostalgia is kind of like sad. No. Okay, it's nostalgia. (laughs) There you go. Sorry, a Greek word then. Yeah, so there was this assumption that if you were a girl, you wanted to brush someone's hair. And if you were a boy, you wanted vroom. (laughs) There was really no gray area. And I think that commercial really says a lot just because when they mention Barbie, there's a twinkle sound. And then when they mention Hot Wheels, an electric guitar kicks in. And it's just like (laughs) all in the space of like a couple of seconds. Just to like signal these like little, you don't actually necessarily notice those things like actively, but they just set these really different tones, even though like it's only five seconds between when the girl says what she wants and the boy says what he wants. And it's also like perfectly just enough to cue your own baked in, built in notions of gender. Imagine, if you will, a world before Happy Meals, before there was any sort of marketing for toys. Ancient civilizations did have toys. Dolls, animal figurines, and yo-yos are all amongst the amusements found in the ruins of the B.C. era. You're really taking us far back, huh? Always. (laughs) B.C. meaning before Christ, also before Candyland. I thought I meant British Columbia. So stupid, Seth. So stupid. But throughout a lot of history, children were needed to work the farm, clean, cook, or do whatever else was needed to survive. Older kids in particular did not have leisure time where they needed toys. The idea of childhood didn't even really emerge until the 17th century in the Western world. Before that, they were just considered mini-adults. That started changing in the 1800s with the Industrial Revolution, when it was common for children to labor in factories or as chimney sweeps working in dangerous conditions for low pay, which then created a backlash when people started becoming concerned for the welfare of children. This also coincided with the creation of a middle class, a group of people who would have disposable income and leisure time most people didn't have before industrialization. 
Mass production also made way for a lot of innovations, often by accident. Play-Doh was originally meant to clean coal residue off of wallpaper. (laughs) The Slinky was created in the 40s as an experiment with springs for military purposes. (laughs) One early toy of note were Lincoln Logs, created in 1916 by Joseph Lloyd Wright, when visiting the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo with his father, the famed architect, Frank Lloyd Wright. What? So they weren't invented by Abraham Lincoln? No, but the early sets did come with instructions for building Lincoln's cabin, as well as Uncle Tom's. (laughs) Oh, good. Log facts. (laughs) I looked at old ads and was a little surprised to see that they all had little girls and little boys playing with Lincoln Logs, even going back, you know, to the 20s and 30s, like magazine ads, newspaper ads, which surprised me because, like, I remembered a box of Lincoln Logs that I had growing up in the 80s, probably is when it was made, which just had a little boy on it, which was a good reminder that the idea of gendering toys was still a pretty new thing, actually, when we were growing up. In the early 20th century, very few toys were labeled by gender. Even the idea of pink being for girls and blue for boys didn't take hold until around the middle of the 20th century. One simple idea for the idea of gendering toys is that companies figured out parents with multiple gendered kids would buy more of the same product if you had certain ones for girls and certain ones for boys. So, like, you know, you buy your kid a blue bib, but if you have a girl, now you have to buy a pink one. You can't just use the same one. That's forbidden. Mm. Once this idea caught on, it caught on very quickly. For boys who like real life, like toys that they can operate to. Attention boys, Tonka toys are made just for you. There are lots of model trucks and model trailers too. They're all built with a Tonka touch, the touch that boys like so much. For boys who like real life, like toys that they can operate too. Attention boys, Tonka toys are made just for you. Gotta love that four-part harmony. It's very catchy. Honestly, <laughs> it's it's a slapper. It really is the hot summer jam I was looking for. That commercial was for Tonka, obviously, in 1962. It's rather impossible to miss who the product is pitched <laughs> at and what kind of identity it's hoping to sell. Yeah. So this episode is going to be pretty heavy on recollections of childhood already, so I don't have so I don't have a traditional opening question for us beyond getting us into our topic. I did want to ask. When you were young, did you play with yourself? What? (laughs) Please clarify quickly. (laughs) By which I mean, who did you play with when you were young and what toys did you play with? We'll talk about specific brands and toy lines, you know, as we go through them. But in general, were you into balls, guns, cars and trucks, action figures, building blocks? Obviously, we're focusing on the more boy-centric toys in this one, and we will get to the dolls and such in our next episode. So we'll start with Seth, since he is a boy. I will gladly start. I would have to say my tastes in toys pretty much ran the entire gamut that you just listed there. I played with balls of all sorts. I played with toy guns. I played with action figures. I played with construction-type toys, of which we will give several specific examples later. I played the hell out of some Lincoln Logs, and I'm pretty sure that 
the Lincoln Logs I played with were maybe from my grandma. They were like super old and inherited and still in perfect condition. They hold I, up. They really hold up. I played board games. I played lots of video games, as we talked about in our video games episodes. I loved to play with life-size accessories of devices from different shows. Like, you know, like you would get like the Ghostbusters gear, like the full-size backpack and, and the ghost trap and the all of that stuff. And would love to kind of use my imagination with that. As far as who I played with, I would have to say I usually played alone, but often played with friends, especially things that kind of lent themselves to being more collaborative, like your, you know, Ghostbusters toys, or we're going to talk about Super Soakers later. That was definitely a thing that was a great kind of team activity. Also, always love to play board games, like, with friends. Like, that would definitely be one of the things I'd like to do uh, when I, whenever I had friends or family over. It, like I've said before, in a lot of ways I was very much an indoor kid but I also really did like to take the chance and opportunity to kind of play collaboratively with other people when they were around. I don't have a penis but I guess I'll share my opinion anyway. Oh no that's okay we don't need it. (laughs) I mean of everything you mentioned I'm sure I played with it but those were not my like toys that I remember fondly which we'll get into the next episode. They were mostly quote-unquote girls toys but like I had Legos, I had connects or something like you like would build yes. like big things. Yes. I'm sure I had a water gun or two. I remember liking cars. So although who am I to know really when I was so little, I don't think my mom was like, you can only have dolls. But I think that was all that was marketed to me, even in the toy section of Toys R Us. You know which aisles for you and which isn't. One is entirely pink and one you will never find a shred of pink. Right. Yeah, it's very blue, dark colors. Yeah, so I think what will come up a lot in this podcast is talking about how it kind of feeds itself, where girls may be more gravitated to dolls because that's what they're seeing, their moms being caregivers, and that's what they're around, and maybe boys for, you know, alternate reasons. like They see their dads being transformers. Transforming in and out of cars. But like because of that, like then it just feeds itself where it's like, well, that's all we'll give you. Yeah. And I think that's what it was. So I'm sure the the toys that we'll be talking about in this episode, I played with. But they were not like my go to toys. And who did you play with? Oh, mostly alone. I honestly have very few memories of playing with other kids. I have a few memories of playing with some Barbies with people. I remember trying to get my mom to play with me, just endlessly like trying to convince her to play with me. And it was never enough. Like, so that, I don't know how old I would have been, but like, I try, I try, 25. To, I try to think of that because I have my four-year-old to play with me. I try to think of that and, and, and Dulcher. Very boring <laughs> games. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, it's boring, but let's I try. Let's be frank, kid. Your imagination <laughs> ain't shit right now. No, I'm she... sure it's going to be fine in several years, but God, what a drag. It's just boring to be like, oh, hey, Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like. I don't know how to do this at this age anymore. I really don't. But I like seeing her play, um, but I don't know how to do it anymore. <laughs> wow. It sounds like you've lost your inner child. I've gained two outer children. <laughs> <So. laughs> 
Well, legend has it that I was into cars early on. I don't really remember because <laughs> it was very, very early on. But I have heard that I once drew a road for them in orange marker on the carpet. Oh, that is adorable. And I used to like to line them up. So apparently I was into traffic as a kid. <laughs> yeah, that part checks out. But my interest in cars themselves didn't really hold for very long because I wasn't that into cars and trucks you know, after that, my sister and I were two and a half years apart. So we did play with toys together pretty often, especially when we were younger. I think it mostly led to a lot of fighting. So <laughs> there was a lot of, you know, beating each other up going on. But because I was older, I would deign to play with dolls. We'll get into that, you know, in the next episode. But overall, I was very into action figures. That was my thing. I am surrounded with some action figures I brought from home. He's deep in the action, folks. My mom held on to them for, you know, various other children and cousins to play with. But I stole them now, so I might not give them back. <laughs> and even early on, I think why I gravitated toward action figures is because I was very much like a storyteller with my toys. I wanted a narrative when I was playing. So I wanted to be able to direct my little actors. My little actors. <laughs> my little Wrong episode. <laughs> I need some electric guitar, please. Meow, meow. That's right. So, yeah, I wanted to be able to tell them what to say and how to move and, you know, physically move them. I mean, but that's exactly what I did with Barbies. Yeah, exactly. You know? And especially when it was connected to, like, a movie I liked. So I, I had a lot of Jurassic Park or Batman Returns figures because those had a built-in narrative that I already knew so I could just sort of do little sequels to that or, you know, kind of play out those scenes again. It was very much the same for me. One thing that I realized when kind of preparing for this was that I definitely did gravitate toward, like, action figures especially that, like, were part of a story that I knew that had some kind of character elements to themselves that kind of came with them that I could mm -hmm. kind of add to. Yeah, I've never been great at building things so blocks never did it for me. I wasn't that into like balls or guns. You know, I'll talk specifically about those things when we get there. I've never really been a competition person, unless it's the Oscars. <laughs> and I've never been good at hitting or shooting anything. I don't really have hand-eye coordination. I would inevitably lose any sort of competition. So I think those kinds of toys make me feel very out of control. Whereas like playing with action figures makes me feel very in control because I am literally deciding everything that happens. You're God. That's all I'm doing here is just playing God of Jurassic Park. Some would call it God. Others would call it an auteur. <laughs> I'm fine with either of those, honestly. I think he would say auteur as a child. I feel like that was in your vocab at eight. To discuss the toys of the 80s and 90s is basically to discuss two companies, Hasbro and Mattel. <laughs> Hasbro in particular has gobbled up most of the smaller toy brands you might remember from this era, like Kenner. So to get into G.I. Joe, our first topic of the episode, it helps to have a little info on the company who made so many of the playthings that consumed our childhoods. Polish Jewish brothers Hermann Hillel and Henry Hassenfeld, it's a lot of H's, founded Hassenfeld Brothers in 1923 Rhode Island, selling textiles and school supplies. In the 40s, they were known to employ Holocaust survivors who emigrated to the U.S. from their Polish hometown. Modeling clay and doctor nurse kits were among the first toys produced in the 40s. In 1952, Hasbro acquired Mr. Potato Head from its inventor, George Lerner. Wait, is it Hasbro now? Yeah, I believe they shortened it. At, okay, at, at, <laughs> that was a good call. Time. Yeah, it rolls off the tongue much better. Mr. Potato Head was the first toy advertised on television and the first commercial aimed directly at children. Wow, really? Brother Spud and Sister Yam were soon created to help fulfill <laughs> enormous demand. Sister Yam! Were they made out of real potatoes back then? Yes! Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, in these days, the face pieces, like you just bought the face pieces. 
Like you had to provide your own potato. <laughs> <laughs> it was a BYOP scenario. <gasps> and then those parts were deemed too sharp because children were cutting themselves. Oh no. So they made them less sharp. And then they when they made them less sharp, then they couldn't get into potatoes anymore. So they had to provide a plastic potato. Oh boy. What a ride. <laughs> And in the 60s, Hasbro added Oscar the Orange and Pete the Pepper to the lineup. They did not survive. I can't believe they didn't. In 1964, they created G.I. Joe. At the time, about a foot-long, doll-ish figure, more or less Barbie-sized. They coined the term action figure to appeal to boys and make it clear that this was not a doll. G.I. Joe was dubbed America's movable fighting man on all packaging. Commercials ended with the tagline, Boy, oh boy, it's a Hasbro toy. G.I. Joe, G.I. Joe, fighting man. Now a new world of fun with G.I. Joe Army. G.I. Joe's a machine gunner, a rifleman, a scout with telephone. More, he fights on skis. He belongs to the mountain troops. Still more? Okay, this new one comes from the headlines. The Green Beret G.I. Joe. Special Forces uniform, portable transmitter, Special Forces rifle. And you can get a 10-inch bazooka that really works. Authentic? With G.I. Joe, you can almost hear the boom of the big guns. Big guns like the one on the G.I. Joe five-star Jeep. Four rockets ready for action. A realistic army Jeep, battery-operated engine sound, and a working searchlight on the trailer. Action? You got it with G.I. Joe Army. G.I. Joe is the greatest. Nothing else is G.I. Joe. Boy, oh boy, it's a Hasbro toy. In the early 70s, marketing pivoted to call G.I. Joe part of an adventure team to quell association with the war in Vietnam. As a sign of the times, the Joes were also given facial hair. In 1982, Hasbro launched the figures that were about four inches, modeled on the size of the successful Star Wars action figures. Wow, okay. So that's when they became kind of the Joes that we probably remember better. I was wondering that. Interesting. And this also enabled them to more easily produce vehicles and play sets that they could fit into. It also corresponded with the creation of board games, video games, apparel, and kites, as well as a comic book and an animated TV series. G.I. Joe, a real American hero, also known as Action Force in the United Kingdom, because they didn't want to call it American Hero. Uh, it was launched in 1983, created by Ron Friedman, originally as a miniseries, and became big enough hit to warrant an order of 65 episodes for just the first season, and 30 more for season two. A feature-length movie was released direct-to-video in 1987, but then Marvel Productions... Yes, that Marvel lost their license on the show. Deke produced another version of the series from 89 to 91, followed by G.I. Joe Extreme later in the 90s. The original series episodes ended with a PSA endorsed by the nonprofit National Child Safety Council and overseen by a Harvard professor. It always ended on the line, and knowing is half the battle. The reason for the PSAs were because the people behind the show knew it was essentially a half-hour toy commercial aimed at kids that glamorized warfare, and they <laughs> wanted to get ahead of any controversy. PSA topics included don't get in anything that could close and trap you, <laughs> obey railroad crossings, don't swim during a thunderstorm, how to stop a nosebleed, and don't call the fire department from a burning building. Good advice. All very Honestly, good advice. Honestly, good advice. He-Man also had PSAs, and I watched <laughs> yes. something Amazing. where the writers were all just like, yeah, we had nothing to do with that. I can't picture the He-Man PSAs. <laughs> oh, you will. So let's talk about G.I. Joe. We watched a clip or two from the original series, as well as uh, several commercials. So starting off, did you play with G.I. Joes, and did you watch the show when you were young? Becky. 
(laughs) This did not appeal to me whatsoever as a kid at all. I think that if it was a toy that I was interested in, I would still want to play with it, but it just didn't. So even though it wasn't marketed to me, either way, I wouldn't have wanted to play with it or watch the series. Seth? Yeah, for the life of me, I don't remember ever watching the cartoon with any regularity. I had maybe one hand-me-down G.I. Joe toy, but it wasn't any of the main people. I think it was like one of the Cobra, one of the bad guys. I was never interested in buying those toys at all, even though like in theory, like because they had very advanced like weaponry, had really cool ships, I remember. I think they had like helicopters and stuff where you could like have them diving out of the helicopter, all that jazz. And still, I was not interested at all. And the only thing I remembered when sitting down to revisit G.I. Joe for this was, and knowing is half the battle. (laughs) Those fucking PSAs, for whatever reason, stuck with me. And I, I don't know if I actually watched more episodes of the show or not, but for whatever reason, that PSA tagline just stuck with me. We're three for three. Uh, (laughs) G.I. No. (laughs) I don't think I ever had any of the G.I. Joe toys. The show was on, I think, in a block with like other shows I watched. So I'm sure I saw it, but I don't really have memories of it. And in fact, I mostly have memories of it like the MASH theme song (laughs) when it would come on. And I would change the channel yep. to something else. Yep. I'm sure there was another cartoon on on some other channel at the time. Do, 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 G.I. Joe. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> You're already out. Yeah, I, I didn't remember any character names or plot points. I honestly think I timed my watching of shows to like begin or end after this show. Like it might have been on at three and then I would just start watching the cartoons at 3.30 or, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. because I was just so not interested in this, which is kind of weird. It's not that different from Transformers or He-Man, you know, it's men fighting things with various weaponry like it's kind of all the same thing but it wasn't to me it was like this couldn't have interested me less and i was you know much more into other things so let's talk about these i guess maybe we'll start with the show just because the theme song uh sounds like johnny cash (laughs) he never gives up he's always there fighting for freedom over land and air gi joe joe's there G.I. Joe is the code name for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose, to defend human freedom against Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. He never gives up, he'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe! Yeah, I'm not seeing the Johnny Cash. It's a warbly kind of weird voice. I don't know. It's it's very distinct and it doesn't have that sort of generic sound that I think a lot of these other jingles do. Doesn't feel like a jingle. Yeah. yeah. It feels more like a 70s TV theme song to me. Kind of like a MASH theme with more words. Are we just going <laughs> to talk about like the content of these things? So, <laughs> okay, this is from a 2023 perspective of looking back at these and it's just so obvious how much of an American propaganda this is. Glamorizing war, being a good soldier. The whole idea of it is kind of disgusting to me as a modern day adult looking back that that we were marketing war to children. And granted, in the show, it's not supposed to be completely realistic. Like, isn't there like magical things or like... There's like a... It's an international terrorist thing. So it's 
I but don't they're think, almost like aliens I or something. Like, at right? some point, there are bad guys that are like reptilian that have like snake heads. Yeah. That's about the most supernatural that it Yeah, gets. there's some supernatural stuff. So it's not completely like, you know, grounded well, in reality. those characters are, but like the rules of that universe are very much like of this world. Yeah, so just the idea of it is gross to me. <laughs> and I don't know exactly what boys are watching these days because I have girls but I don't think there are war shows there are probably shows that have war types of sequences in them but to be actually like Uh. a soldier in war (laughs) there's one of the most successful video game franchises of all time is Call of Duty, where you literally play as an American soldier in wars. I guess it's not for little kids on TV, though. But little kids play that. I'm just saying, like, that propaganda as, like, a show is no longer necessary because kids get that through video games now. All right. I guess I'm just, I'm not going to see that on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, Very much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have so many thoughts about the way that, this is a great intro of, like, what, little boys in the 80s and 90s were and you know how they were expected to act and behave through these shows well yeah i mean i think what's interesting about this is like we're coming to it mostly in the 80s like that's when we were introduced to these things and kind of the more interesting time to look at this but like in the 60s like i get why that was a thing because it was still pretty soon after world war ii yeah and the idea of american heroism like and soldiers was a very different thing then than it was in the 80s Which, like I said, after Vietnam, like, this all becomes, like, a very different conversation. But the show then, like, introduces, like, Cobra, like, as a terrorist organization. And the G.I. Joes are actually, like, a team of, I don't know, it's almost like they're, like, the CIA or something. It was very confusing. It, like, at first, like, we saw, we watched some commercials from the 50s. And then as it went through time, and in the beginning, it was like, here's G.I. Joe, and he's going to defend America against the Nazis. We didn't say Nazis, but like it was, you know. And the the models of the G.I. Joes were based on the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines. Like it was very specifically delineated among that. Yeah. And then as the commercials went on, it felt like more like we're superheroes. Right. Yeah. And it's weird that they even kept the name G.I. Joe because like G.I. is like ground infantry, which Mm -hmm. is not actually what any of these people are doing. Well, but after World War II and especially starting around Vietnam, G.I. became a kind of catch all term for anyone who was in the military. Yeah. So in that sense, it fit. But also they very clearly like pivoted. And it's ironic that you were saying they were trying to avoid Vietnam comparisons because the Vietnam comparison was fucking inescapable for me as a was watching all the cartoons and especially all the commercials it very much seemed just like straight up rambo shit literally in the jungle facing off against the sneaky bad guys well yeah i mean like the idea of the american soldier as like this very clearly defined hero changed with vietnam in the public perception so they had to invent this whole other like storyline where it's like okay they're not really just soldiers they're yeah like this whole superhero team that you so you It becomes fictional. Like, you don't really associate it with the real military. But yeah, the commercials really irritated me as a kid. (laughs) And again, watching them again, especially there's this character, Sergeant Slaughter. Take your mean cobra! Wait till you meet Slaughter's Marauder! Slaughter's Marauder's camouflage, they can't be seen! But you better believe they're me, they're me! They're feet and spirit and footloose on the attack! Slaughter's Marauders to the rescue! Take this! Go, Joe! 
Equalizer, Armadillo and Lynx, figures sold separately. Nobody beats G.I. Joe. Yo, Joe! Oh, oh boy. Man. I don't even remember that guy. That commercial was quite I a... I did not remember something. him by name. And I, well, I hadn't thought of him since then. But as soon as he came back on, I was like, no, not this guy. Like, I thought I'd escaped this guy. <laughs> but he's basically like a drill sergeant. He's very Apocalypse Now, Full Metal Jacket, like that kind of guy. Yes. Selling toys, which are increasingly kind of violent and destruction-based. And almost all these, like, boy toys that we'll talk about have some element of, you know, violence or destruction to them. But these ones are rooted in something very real. And so it just feels much weirder than, like, a He-Man, you know, who has, like, a sword and and is, you know, from a, a distant planet. Even though they're, they're kind of distancing themselves with fiction, it just feels kind of weird to see a drill sergeant, like, yelling yeah. at kids on TV and then telling them, here's this weapon that you can use to yeah. blow up your enemies this time around it was especially horrifying to me like becky was saying like like i was always really just turned off by the screamy tone of that whole franchise but having historical perspective watching that stuff now it's it's literally horrifying because they're not even trying to sugarcoat how much they're glamorizing war and something like sergeant slaughter i could easily imagine being a real nickname for someone in that position in the military and so it's even less of an escapist thing in my eyes it is like a straight up literal kind of laundering of the reputation of even like mercenaries and like defense contractors in that context and keep in mind this was the 80s when like iran contra was happening the u.s had already like overthrown lots of south american democratically elected presidents and leaders so to me watching this stuff like over time developing really seems like they are with each historical era kind of keeping up on how they need to change to launder the newest version of American military empire. Well, yeah, and it becomes increasingly divorced from anything real. Like Becky was saying, the original toys were actually like real soldiers based on real branches of the military. And then they take on this like sort of more comic book quality and they have Cobra. And then by the like late 90s, like the commercials have like people who look, it basically looks like Star Wars. There's like people dressed in costumes and there's a live action G.I. Joe guy who's like tied up and it's just it's like none of it looks at all like anything you would actually see in the military. So it's it's just weird that they kept that root name of like G.I. Joe and that idea when what they actually were selling had nothing to do with the real military. Yeah. And I think it also does a real disservice because, you know, they never tell children the truth that actually George H.W. Bush and his CIA helped fund and train Cobra. Okay, I I might have done my own research on that one. (laughs) Really one of the most fucked up ones. I mean, there are a lot of things that I saw is really fucked up now, but one of the most fucked up about this one was the anti-drug PSA. Yeah, that was a surprise. Yeah, so it's called the G.I. Joe Drug Elimination Force. Oh, it's not a PSA. It's not? Oh, that was an episode? I believe that was a real toy. A real toy commercial. That was a toy commercial? Yes. There's an enemy more dangerous than Cobra, polluting our streets with drugs. But who can stop this evil headman and his headhunters? Let's take out this trash! It's the G.I. Joe Drug Elimination Force, armed with battle flash weapons. They fight the evil headman and his drug-pushing headhunters. This is the Joe's most important fight ever because they're fighting for all of us drug elimination force sold separately with battle flash weapons remember real american heroes don't do drugs yeah 
this was one of my biggest notes for even this whole episode was just watching that was so horrifying because the audience for that is children. And the purpose of that is now to launder one of the wars we have at home now. The way that America has used military force, we launch these wars abroad, and then eventually those wars come back home. And we use the military technology that is developed to fight foreign wars against our own citizens and against each other and our own people. And this commercial literally depicts that like and and it's saying like let's take out the trash and the drug dealers in this are kind of represented and they had action figures for this i saw those action figures that were like brown gentlemen in like zoot suits mm-hmm. like really kind of 40s and 50s racist stereotypes of what drug dealers looked like and the end of it they say like they're fighting for all of us and it's it's just literal straight up drug war propaganda but like also he's a soldier that's not the job of a soldier to go get drug dealers <laughs> like it's just be- making the military police officers and and that's kind of in part what happened in America. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying that like I guess it's a reflection of the I world. know. Like, no, but like that's what in particular was what was so crazy about it to me. Going into this, I very much expected it to be like, oh, this is like so silly even for the time. This is totally disconnected. I assumed it would be totally disconnected from any kind of actual history or like trends of what was mm-hmm. going on in real life then. Yeah. But no, it's like it's very much like following that. Yeah, there was a real line of drug elimination force, like kind of loosely, well, not so loosely based on like the DEA, which is very weird just because, yeah, it is so true to life that you don't expect that to be a toy, you know, that like actual like agencies that like kids wouldn't really know about. Not at all. And like, it's such a different world, even from like all the Nancy Reagan PSAs and the way that they, you know, like they had so many anti-drug campaigns that were very clearly shoehorned in, you know, where they didn't alter the whole universe of the thing that the message was being shoehorned in through. This like made it a part of the canon. Next up, we will talk about the Masters of the Universe, a.k.a. He-Man, which, while we're talking about gendering toys, he has both his pronoun and sex in his name. (laughs) (laughs) So, again, there is no mistaking who the audience for this is supposed to be. And the Masters of the Universe! I am Adam. Prince of Eternia and defender of the secrets of Castle Grayskull. This is Cringer, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic sword and said, By the power of Grayskull! became the mighty battle cat and I became He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe. In the 70s, Mattel CEO Ray Wagner desperately searched for a way to replicate the success of the Star Wars toys after he passed on producing the Star Wars toys, which Ooh. was a big mistake. Huge. Failed attempts <laughs> to create a new line of toys included medieval knight Kid Gallant, Robin and the Space Hoods, and <laughs> Kenny Do It, as in can he do it? But Kenny. Kenny G toy? <laughs> and he does duets with other toys? Yeah. <laughs> you guys should have worked at Mattel in the, Honestly, in the 70s. this is a new career pivot for me. Eventually, a toy inspired by Conan the Barbarian became the winning idea in a series called He-Man and the Lords of Power. 
rip off of Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> a loose amalgamation of inspired. <laughs> I could not remember if Arnold Schwarzenegger played He-Man in a movie, but he played Conan. Did he also play He-Man in a movie? No. No, that was Dolph Lundgren. Okay. Yes. I didn't know if there were multiple He-Man. And movies. there was also Beastmaster, which we are Never woefully, we are woefully <laughs> neglecting to mention here. The name Lords of Power was eventually deemed too religious sounding, and with that... <laughs> came the idea to launch an animated series inspired by a toy, rather than the reverse, a tie-in with a popular movie or TV series. Watching boys in testing made designers realize that kids felt powerless against their bossy parents and led to the idea behind the I Have the Power battle cry. The toys made their debut in 1982 with five-and-a-half-inch action figures, He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe, and his evil arch-nemesis Skeletor, with battle accessories providing the boy answer to Barbie's accessories. The corresponding TV series debuted in 1983, thanks to Ronald Reagan loosening restrictions on a 30-minute commercial used to sell toys. Thanks, Reagan. Once again, thanks. Basically, all of this is because they loosened the restrictions on advertising to kids in the beginning of his administration. And that paved the way for all kinds of shows that were basically just... Half-hour commercials. Yeah, and I'm also wondering when the uh, regulations regarding providing quality content to children were loosened, because I know that happened under Reagan as well, and so I'm guessing that was a part of this too. Do you mean quality content versus just, like, shitty filler? Yes. No, where it literally used to be the law that entertainment branded as children's entertainment had to have a certain amount of educational content to it. Which is why the PSAs were added on to G.I. Joe and He-Man. That makes It wasn't sense. mandated, but I think it was just, a, oh, we don't want to get in trouble, so we're going to have this on the end of it so that it looks like we're doing something good when really we're advertising. A comic series was also launched around the same time. He-Man revolutionized children's TV and became bigger than Barbie for about a year. Once it was a success, it was taken seriously and there was a lot of corporate interference. The team was pushed to make a bunch of new products fast and cheap, including Stinkor, the evil lord of odors. <laughs> and Snout Spout, who sprayed water from his nose. Not expecting that. I had, I had a Stinkor. I make a Stinkor every day. <laughs> And these were produced cheaply by, they basically just used the same models as the other toys and then would like paint them different colors and like, to make them a different animal. The live action feature film was released in 1987, starring Dolph Lundgren as He-Man, Franklin Jella as Skeletor, and Courtney Cox as a woman. Just the girl shrieking. <laughs> she has no powers. <laughs> she didn't start as Stinkor. <laughs> They were going to have her do that in the sequel, but alas, there was no sequel because the uh, movie was poorly received mm. and did not hit with audiences, even though the toys were at the height of their popularity at the time. This corresponded with an oversaturation of the toys. They made too many and basically they were just sitting on shelves for too long and then everybody kind of lost interest in the characters for the time being. So did you guys play with He-Man toys? I probably did. I more so played with She-Ra. You did? Yeah, I had a She-Ra. I can, like, picture it in my head and what she feels like and what she looks like, and I very much liked my She-Ra. Did she have real hair? Yeah, but she was small. Uh -huh. So it was it was not Barbie, not Barbie size. size. Okay. No, she was small. And I have to say, I like her outfit still. I think she's kind of iconic. <laughs> yeah. Now there's more power than ever from the Princess of Power collection. You can pretend. Lovely Flutterina has the power to fly. Pretty Peek-a-Blue has the power of many eyes. And sweet-smelling flowers give perfume of the power. To make scratching sound, catch a sleep tight. To save the fate of the world, now there's even 
I think the fashions from this are still very iconic and memorable. Also, to me, one of the things that stood out the most even at the time was the weird proportions of their bodies. The, all the action figures, basically all the characters in the He-Man universe were like steroidally ripped. God, and so yeah. they like, their shapes were super, super top heavy as action figures. Yeah. That stood out to me when I was a kid, like looking at them. But especially now, it's crazy the body dysmorphia on display. I played somewhat with some He-Man figures. I had some old He-Man action figures as a kid that I somehow inherited from someone. I don't remember who, maybe a cousin. The one that I remember the best was like a Skeletor action figure and it had a battle damage feature. I had that too, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. You would like hit the chest and it would rotate a plastic plate inside Skeletor's chest to like show cuts and damage that he sustains in battle. And there was also a He-Man version of that figure, but I don't think I ever had that one. That's um, weird. I think I also only had the Skeletor. Yeah, and it's so weird. It's also strange to me that that didn't catch on as more of a thing, because that's really kind of clever and inventive for a, a toy. Those were modeled on a car. I forget which brand it was, but there was a car that like had a, like you could wreck the car and it would like flip around like that. Oh, crazy. And that's where they got the idea for that. I played with He-Man all day and all night. I loved me some He-Man. Really? Oh. Yes, I was a big He-Man fan, and I think it was actually probably the first thing that I was super into as a kid. Because I just remember how young I was when I was watching this show and playing with these toys. When I was watching some of these commercials, I saw so many toys that I owned that I had no memory, would never have been able to conjure up, like Stinkor, but also <laughs> dozens of others that I was like, oh, I had that, or and I had that. Or I at least played with someone else's. Like Becky was saying, like, I remember what that felt like in my hand, remembered moving there. Mm -hmm limbs and things like that. I'm just remembering another one now, and I'm wondering if you had this. It looked a lot like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Merman, I believe is I his name. I think so, and it had a head where you could like spray water through it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Except I think that was Stinkor also. They just painted him to look like a skunk. So <laughs> I, I had one with a squishy head, but I think it might not have been that one. I might have had both. I don't know. I keep thinking you're saying Eeyore. <laughs> <laughs> it's confusing. I have me. an Eeyore fact in, in our next section. Stinks for noticing me. So, yeah, I also had Beast Man. He was a favorite. He was an orange Beast Man. I don't know if I owned Evil Lynn, but she definitely made an impression on me because it was just a funny name. I guess like Evelyn, but Evil Lynn. Felt like a kind of a Catwoman precursor. There's the memorable Orko, who is like a little guy who's just like hidden under a hat and a like a scarf. I always hated him. You hated him? I did. He kind of like fit in this E.T. category of like... He's like mysterious, like he just looked wrong to me and you couldn't see his face and his fingers were too long. Like I just did not. I remember having the toy in my house and like hating it. <laughs> so a lot of my memories of it are a little hazy because He-Man didn't really last very long in our culture. Like he was pretty much out by the end of the 80s, even though I probably continued to play with the toys for at least a little while. He-Man. Beast Man sold for battle armor He-Man. Beast Man, battle armor He-Man and Skeletor each sold separately. Take that! Just a dent. And that! More dents. But look! They're gone! Only He-Man has this power. Oh, yeah? Battle Armor Skeletor has it, too. Now the real fun begins. Battle Armor Skeletor and He-Man figures each sold separately from the Masters of the Universe collection. Beastman figure also sold separately from Mattel. But yeah, what did you think of going back through these commercials or, or the show? This show was quite gay. <laughs> 
like refreshingly, surprisingly, effervescently gay. Explain. <laughs> I just found everything about it very homoerotic from the like rainbow color schemes on down to just the way that nearly every character is so steroidally muscle-bound. Many of the characters are in a state of partial or full undress to display the musculature off. And especially homoerotic in the way that the characters physically move around in their space in the cartoon. Like, to me, it appeared that He-Man, like, prances most of the time rather than simply walking <laughs> or running. And he was in several situations putting himself in a position that I can only describe as pussy popping. Oh my goodness. <laughs> where he was, like, squeezing and displaying and jutting his butt cheeks out as far from his body as he could get. I'm not even joking. I feel like you watched a porn parody of I He-Man. did not. No, I checked several times and I am not exaggerating. Check the game tape because I am not lying about this. Obviously, it's a very rudimentary cartoon overall. And I thought it was just very silly, but very clearly a cartoon derived from an action figure. But I did just kind of really feel like it was overall pretty gay. And I'm not sure if that was aided or not by the fact that many viral video parodies of He-Man have come out in more recent decades that do kind of reposition his character as a gay icon. But still, I thought it was a little bit more interesting for that. I did not get the gay thing. I'm shocked. But I felt like the entire premise is on acid. Just watching, I was I was just watching the theme song. I don't I didn't watch the whole episode. I was just like, what am I watching? <laughs> I should be high right now and like stoned watching this just because it's like bonkers. So that's how I felt <laughs> about this that like this is such a strange premise. Was it this? You, you said that they were trying to like do their own Star Wars thing. Yeah. This is much weirder than Star Wars. Well, yeah, they basically they designed all the toys and like named them. And then they kind of had to back into creating a plot around them. They kind so. of backfilled it around. <laughs> And a lot of times that was done, like, very quickly. They were like, we need this done, you know, tomorrow. So figure out why yeah. why he does this. I mean, it looks, the cartoon itself is animated very cheaply. Him just, like, talking is just very funny from a modern day perspective because it's just so, like, clearly the animation cells are being reused. Yeah, truly, it looks like a cartoon that was made for Adult Swim. <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't love it. <laughs> It was very mind-boggling, I guess, that was just like, what am I watching? Yeah, it's weird. I have nostalgia for it, but I, I never think about He-Man. So it's not like I'm, you know, like someone who has He-Man action figures at home, like that are collectible. So I, like the nostalgia is all dormant until you put on this theme song. And then I'm like, whoa. Does it make you happy? Yes. Specifically, I have the power, like gives me chills. Oh. Me too. No, me too. There's something about, it's like an echoey voice that it does. Yeah. So what they're doing is they're just putting that sound clip through a super old style echo machine, which is like with like vacuum tubes and maybe possibly even actual like tape, like a tape echo machine. It's a very old style thing and it's super prized in music now because um, of that specific thing that it does to the sound. And it's like all of the magic of it is that sound effect. 
And it's not like the rest of the show is produced in an interesting, like it's, it sounds very like this was recorded in a studio. So it's weird that that one line has like this power. Totally. But it really does. And like, I wouldn't have been able to tell you before this episode, like, what does He-Man say? What is that line? I, I wouldn't remember. But as soon as it was on, I was just like, oh my God, I loved that line. Like that just made me feel like I could have some kind of magical power too when I was four. So I really admire some of the character design. I think Skeletor in particular is like a great villain. He's really fun. I guess if you're a grinning skeleton, you have no choice but to be evil. Doesn't he have like a fun voice? He does. Yeah. It's a very funny voice. Like, yeah. it's not a, yeah. an evil it's voice. It's not a spooky Darth yeah. Vader voice. No, not at all. I like that he's a muscular skeleton. Like, he's like, <laughs> even like the skeleton is buff in this universe. Yeah. It's <laughs> interesting that this is just coming at that era that like Stallone and Schwarzenegger were mm, coming up to, where it's just everyone point. was just like beefy and shirtless like all the time. And it was before pop culture realized that that could be taken kind of in a gay way, you know? There was no irony to it in this, like, moment of the 80s, whereas, like, later there would be. You know, later people would be like, oh, that's kind of gay. At this, somehow, like, people hadn't, like, figured that out in 1984. No, I totally agree with that. Like, I don't think anything about the show was intentionally homoerotic. I just think it's kind of... If anything, the result of how rudimentary the animation is and all of that. But it it, it is kind of a weird vision of masculinity to give children. Because the, the character himself is actually kind of like nerdy almost in a way. Like he's not really that in aggressive way, or macho. Yeah, and, and also the lore part of it where, you know, he has to say, I have the power. It doesn't really look like he gets any more powerful. But then like his cat, who in the <laughs> normal mode is like a, a mincing, his cat is named Cringer, which I love. Perfect. Like, like his cat becomes like super buff and becomes battle cat. And I'm like, why doesn't everyone else get that same glow up? <laughs> as far as like the commercials go for He-Man, I thought it was interesting and, you know, not surprising that it was basically just like little boys being told to be antagonistic with each other, literally no women at all, and just punch and attack and fight. And it's all about physical strength. Like everything in these commercials was like just one character fighting another. And I just hate that. <laughs> Like, I just hate that from a modern day perspective. Like, I just would hate that my my if I had a little boy that they he would just be like marketed to like just be physically loud and and crashing things into each other. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. The early commercials for He-Man all had dads playing with their kids. And that's not something you see in most. I noticed oh, that yeah, too. Right. I don't know what it means, but it was just like a, a weird detail. The dads in the commercial seem really into the He-Man toys, which like usually if parents are in a commercial, they're like kind of like fuddy-duddies and, you know, like they're not interested or they're maybe disapproving, but they're never really part of playing. And so I kind of liked that idea. It's a more positive, you know, mm-hmm. maybe thing than just like two boys like slamming action figures into each other. I mean, I also wonder if that kind of went away in part because more and more households were moving to a situation where both parents were working all day and kids didn't really have the time to be playing with their parents. Because I noticed that about at least one of the other commercials where like the dad showed up and was like curious about like, oh, son, what what toys are you playing with? And he didn't necessarily join in. But even just that like presence of a father (laughs) Mm -hmm. was kind of surprising to me in a commercial like that. Did you notice how many times they said each sold separately in these commercials? (laughs) <laughs> because it's in all of these commercials, but in He-Man, they say it twice per commercial yes. for some reason. I didn't realize it's it twice. Really, I think they had to take great pains to do it. They must have. And I just, 
I mean, I get you don't want to be sued. Someone must have sued in like 1979 or something (laughs) because Mm -hmm. they are so on it with that. But I'm just like, it's so mystifying to me, like what that actually does, because you can't show up to the store. What are you going to do? Like they're sold separately. Like you haven't bought them yet. So why? Like you can't sue. Like I just don't understand like what expectation someone would have that needs. I'm positive there's a legal reason they put those lines in these commercials. You know what it is? I bet it's because they're depicting so many toys being used together in the same commercial in the same spot. So I'm sure that like legally they're trying to cover themselves against the implication that the commercial is selling all of them together as one package deal. But they're not even giving you like a price or they're not saying like this, this could all be yours. They could still still get sued. That doesn't mean they would win, but they could still get sued. If you hear anything like that in a commercial, it's because legal has advised it to be so. I know. I tried to find like a specific reason and I couldn't find it. But maybe because Googling that phrase just turns up a whole bunch of like (laughs) commercials. And then what about She-Ra? I love that. Again, I didn't watch the episode. I just watched the theme song or the intro. It is literally He-Man, but with female characters instead. And disco. It's like a disco <laughs> theme song. Yeah, it seemed a lot more disco. She-Ra, I am Adora, He-Man's twin sister and defender of the Crystal Castle. This is Spirit, my beloved steed. Fabulous secrets were revealed to me the day I held aloft my sword and said, For the honor of Grayskull! I didn't watch the show. I just watched the intro and I watched the toy commercials. And it just seemed, you know, they're like, let's make it more floofy and let's add angel wings and unicorns and we're done. <laughs> My memory of Shira was that the action figures were the same, that they were just, you know, He-Man proportions and just... You know, oh, no, she's smaller. Yeah, and has real hair. And so, like, I don't think I played with them. I did watch Shira though, and I had a real conflict. What? Because it was so clear that it was for girls. And this was like sort of my awakening that like even though He-Man and Shiro were basically the same thing, like literally like almost the same animation, especially in that opening, it was so clear to me that like I wasn't supposed to be into Shira. And I was supposed to be into He-Man. But, like, I remember playing with neighborhood kids and, like, you know, someone would have to be She-Ra and someone would have to be He-Man. And, like, right. no one wanted to be She-Ra because, like, even at the age of four, like, I was kind of aware that that was, like, something that would be frowned upon. Do you mean one of the boys would have to be She-Ra? Yeah, because if, if it was, like, two or three boys playing, there was no girls to play yeah. She-Ra. I mean, that still happens because my daughter will give me updates from school and be like, we played Spider-Man today and I was Ghost Spider who was... The girl. Um, mm-hmm. I forgot her human name. And this guy was Miles and this guy was Peter. But like she's always Ghost Spider. She's never Peter. And she, you know, but like it seems that for whatever reason, she will never play the boy. Like if they're playing Batman, she's Batgirl. But she probably would play the boy. Or at least it would be, like, more okay. But the boys probably would never want to play the girl. And that's why Absolutely. it always lines up. And and I would also add that I would bet that one of the boys at some point said, oh, you play, you play the girl part. I don't think that any of these kinds of preferences are driven by 
what little kids actually believe and how they see the world, I think 100% mm-hmm. of it is driven by marketing. Mm-hmm. And it is insane, but also makes a lot of sense how early on that kind of coding gets through to people. I also just have to say, she wrote looks very Faye Dunaway. <laughs> yes. I, I can see. see it. Now we'll move on to the Transformers. They were originally designed by the Japanese company Takara, known for a hit doll at the time. Their first boy toy was licensing G.I. Joe in the 70s. Something of an odd choice for a Japanese company a few decades after World War II. Some iterations of the model turned G.I. Joe into a cyborg, which then led to various toy lines that transformed them into Transformers. So basically, this Japanese company took G.I. Joe, made him a robot, (laughs) and then made him into a car. Yeah. (laughs) The Transformers, more than meets the eye. Autobots wage their battle to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticons. The Transformers, robots in disguise. The Transformers, more than meets the eye. The Transformers. The Transformers are robots in disguise and more than meets the eye. The noble Autobots are led by Optimus Prime against the sinister Decepticons led by Megatron. They flee the planet Cybertron for Earth. Tonka's GoBots beat Transformers to market by six months and were initially popular, but soon waned because they were smaller and much less cool. I can attest to that. I remember the GoBots. I don't even really. I remember the name of them, but I never had them because they were just, they weren't Transformers. Transformers is a better name. Hasbro followed the formula that worked for G.I. Joe and Mattel's He-Man. It was three-pronged with toys, comic books, and an animated show. The series debuted in 1984 and ended in 1987. In 1986, Transformers the movie hit the big screen with the voices of Judd Nelson, Scatman Crothers, Casey Kasem, Robert Stack, Eric Idle, Leonard Nimoy, and Orson Welles in his last role, the role he was born to play as an evil planet. Wow. Just wow. We watched that trailer. I think you watched the whole movie, huh? Oh, yes. Yeah, I just watched the trailer and just seeing the the names Judd Nelson, Leonard Nimoy, Orson Welles pop up, I was hysterically laughing. Yeah. Like, first of all, what kid is going to give a shit about Orson Welles? <laughs> I had the little Citizen Kane action playset, so I don't know about you, Becky. Watch as he rides his sled. <laughs> Rosebud. But just like those are three names you'd never think would be together in something. <laughs> the unlikeliest ensemble. Yeah, I mean, they wanted to go big for this so they they were going after big names can we also say written by ron friedman (laughs) hasbro had created an entirely new line of toys to release in 1986 so their mandate to the writers of the movie was to kill off all of the original transformers so they could show (laughs) off the new ones Good thing for a kid's movie. Oh, my we'll, God. We'll get there. Takara stopped designing the toys in Japan when they started losing popularity there. So then Hasbro had nothing to copy. So their, des- <laughs> <laughs> their designs of the toys went way downhill. And like He-Man, the concessions they made trying to sell too many toys eventually led kids to just move on to something else. I imagine that something else was Ninja Turtles because it certainly was for me. So did you play with Transformers? I did. Also, I have to say, you know, like I... I was intrigued by a great many of these toy lines, but this, I think, might have been the most alluring one of all for me. So clearly, just a thing created just to sell toys, and it fucking worked. In 
producing blaster. He looks like an innocent radio, but transformed. He's a powerful Autobot communicator. I never had Optimus Prime or any of like the biggest names from the movies or the cartoon franchises. I had one that was a gun, one that was a fighter plane. Wait, Megatron was a gun. He was one of the biggest ones. I don't think it was Megatron. There were other guns. I think there were some other guns. And there were some that were like smaller size kind of race car style Transformers. And I had several of those. And I cannot remember if those were maybe Happy Meal toys at some point or another. There was, like, a later line that was, like, cheaper and that didn't, like, do very much actual transforming. Yeah, I think I might have had those cheaper ones. But either way, I was just always so intrigued. You know, I've always been someone who loves to understand how things work and, like, how to how to break things down into their component parts. So just the idea of transforming was so fascinating for little Seth. Weirdly for me, as far as watching Transformers, I didn't watch like the originals i didn't watch the movie my transformers was the show beast wars which oh no was, you're one of those people i don't know what that is i am one of those weirdos well beast wars was an all cgi series in like the mid to late 90s and it was about these transformers who were all like different beasts and they transformed to and from like wild animals oh that's like, like the new movie. the new movie has the beasts in there that's oh that's right is. oh okay okay so that that checks out it was not very good <laughs> it looks disgusting like just bad cgi it looks beyond terribly rudimentary cgi which was very funny to watch now but yeah for whatever reason mostly just because it was what was on that early in the morning when i'd be eating breakfast about to get ready for school i think that's kind of 95 percent of the reason why i watched it but that was the transformers that i watched the most often I never watched this show. I never watched the movie. I think I may have played with a Transformer here or there. Not a thing that I can remember really playing with. I'm sure that if I came upon one, I'd be like, let's turn it into the car. Yeah, and clearly knew what it was. But again, I was just like, not for me. They were for me. (laughs) Transformers were very much my thing. Probably even more than He-Man, although I think... They kind of, it was like He-Man came first and then I kind of moved into Transformers. But like He-Man, the show was appointment viewing for me. I loved the toys. I loved the theme song. I loved the noise they made when they transformed. Yeah, it is one of the all-time best theme songs ever, ever. Can we please talk about how this theme song is absolutely inspired by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Cats? I hear it maybe in like the the horn arrangement that was over that, but not in the song itself. Oh, I that's all I hear. It's bump 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 bump. Yeah, in the commercials I wrote that they get more and more Andrew Lloyd Webber sounding <laughs> as they go along. A very memorable theme song. I also love the Autobot and Decepticon faces that switch the moments in the TV show. Like if it's an Autobot scene, then it's an Autobot face, and then it switches to a Decepticon. If you're gonna go see a Decepticon. Oh. <laughs> But it'll stay on an Autobot face if you're about to watch more Autobots. Very clever there. I love Optimus Prime saying, roll out. I knew all of their names and what they changed into. I did not have as many Transformer toys as He-Man because the best ones were discontinued by the time I was into them. 
the original line was the best and they were harder to find. But I remember going to swap meets with my mom, probably mostly, and buying like the original Transformers from there. So I had an Optimus Prime and a Megatron. A lot of times they were like missing some of the pieces or maybe even slightly broken, but it was still worth it to have the classics, which even at the time they weren't that old, but they were maybe, you know, getting on a decade old. You know, they still felt almost like collector's items, even though they weren't because they were broken. That's so funny because I didn't remember until you just said that that like my dad used to go to a local flea market every Sunday and I feel like that's probably where I got at least my Transformers if not many of these other franchise toys. And looking at them now, I'm like really impressed with the ingenuity behind the toys. They're well made, they're well designed, and they're still fun to play with as an adult even just like to have them in your hands and like transform them once or twice. Like it's fun to do. Becky will now play with her first Transformer. We need to capture this. Well, that one is a little like... So does it come... Okay. Does it come in the box already a robot? Yes, And you have robot. to like figure out what is it going to become? Or does it tell you? You know what it's going to become. Yeah. It's not supposed you to be a know. surprise. You're going to know. I don't know how... Does this become something? Yes. You're gonna, don't break that in half, please. <laughs> do I press things? What do I do? Oh, God. Yes, I do. Okay. Well, there's a robot. Okay. This could go all night. Oh, man. I don't want to see you on a Rubik's Cube. Jesus. Oh, Chris is going to do... Oh, it's a, is it a dinosaur? Listener, what you're hearing is Chris performing the art of transformation. <laughs> it's like origami. <laughs> oh, it's a two-headed dinosaur. was not expecting that. See? Clever. <laughs> clever, clever girl. I have no problems with this as a toy, I guess. It's kind of cool as a toy. I didn't watch any of the TV show, but like I watched a little bit of the movie and I have to say I was so surprised how much it felt like anime. And when you said it was like from a Japanese company, like that makes sense to me now. Again, I don't know about the TV show, but the movie felt like they actually put some like work anima animation wise into it. Like there was a lot of depth to like all the little technical like it's all in space or something right like so all the like the spaceship stuff and like all of the little buttons on every robot there's like a lot of detail and usually for tv shows they're made very quickly and cheaply and you don't get that amount of detail so watching the movie i was just very surprised it was not what i was expecting and then i i watched the scene where optimus prime dies and i was just like this is so serious this is a drama <laughs> It's funny because many friends of mine have told me that that was the first movie they remember crying at. Oh, yeah. It was a big deal. The movie, it has a very cool soundtrack, at least for 1986. It's, it sounds a little kitschy now, but it's very, like, kind of Top Gun-ish, you know, just, like, 80s pop music. Oh, that checks out. It's very psychedelic. It's very surreal. Yeah, very surreal. It's a little Star Wars inspired, very like Asian influenced as well. The line, oh shit, what are we going to do now is contained. So wow. a little bit more grown up than the cartoon. It opens with a planet being devoured. So you see like they're robots, but there's still like little kids like running and fleeing. Seven minutes in, a few of the Transformers are brutally murdered, shot with a gun with smoke pouring out of their mouths. Wow. Later on, Optimus Prime dies. He's like very battered and cracked and... He basically pulls his soul out of his chest mm -hmm. and then turns gray and like his head leans to the side and there's this very sad score. And the little boys crying over him. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, it was not what I was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> I fear the wounds are fatal.
time. You can't die. Do not grieve. Soon, I shall be one with the Matrix. Prime. Uh, uh, uh. It's very hardcore and emotional. Like, imagine if Skipper just straight up murdered Barbie and all of her friends one day. Like, it's it, that's kind of like the shock that it was. Because, like, you just don't expect that from your toys. When the movie came out, I was three. So I was too young to see it in a movie theater. And I was getting into Transformers probably, like, around that time. But I did definitely see it later. And I think I'd already seen some of what happens afterwards on the show. Because they had Optimus Prime come back kind of as a zombie for a while. And he was, like, evil. Oh, wow. And then with, like, Backlash, they eventually just brought him back to life as, like, a a good character. So I'd probably already seen some of that before I saw the movie. Still, like, that movie is, like, really, really seared in my brain. And the sadness of that scene is probably, like, the saddest thing I'd ever seen up until that point. (laughs) Like, definitely the most intense. It It just has a very adult feeling. And I even have this memory of a scene that I don't think really exists because I searched really hard for it. And so I think I probably had like a nightmare about like that Optimus Prime, like Hmm. basically like stalking someone through like a spaceship or something like that, because I have this memory of it and did not see any reference to it. So that scene in particular is like really kind of like a rite of passage for a lot of like 80s kids, particularly boys. Like you can mention it to anyone of a certain age. It's basically like our Vietnam. (laughs) (laughs) did you enjoy watching the movie as an adult yes i i still enjoy it it's it's a little rudimentary in ways like the you know the writing is still feels a little bit like a kid's tv show in ways but it's also very imaginative and so there's a really great like new characters in a very like 80s way that feels like return to oz or never ending story you know like these things that were really dark and like you watch them now and you're like is this really for kids Mm. yeah there's like this judge guy who has five faces who's like sending people to their deaths by shark yeah it's really like dark and imaginative so it's a cool design maybe i wish i could take the story more seriously or you know maybe some of the dialogue was better but i still enjoy it and going back and watching the commercials i did not necessarily remember this but found it very amusing that there were little boys whose eyes turned green (laughs) and called themselves robots in disguise that was cute that happened to me a lot i could see that So with these, I mean, I felt like it was less marketing manipulation and it felt more like a toy that kids would actually like and just kind of like showing them the toy. You know, like I get why kids were into this and it just felt like there wasn't a lot needed to like sell the toy beyond just like this is a cool toy. Not kids, Chris. Boys. Yes, definitely. Only boys boys. in the commercials. Just marketed to boys. Yeah, I'll definitely say I remember a lot of my friends who were girls playing with Transformers as well. That was one of the few, I think, that kind of, at least in my world, had some crossover appeal. And yet still not marketed to girls. Oh, no, absolutely not. Right. But that's what's interesting is that, like, there's nothing inherently masculine or feminine at all about driving a car. Only men drive. A water gun, a robot, an inanimate machine that's a robot (laughs) like that has no gender. Come on. Like. (laughs) You're just a guy. You're becoming a gun. (laughs) 
that's going to be a man. It's just like, but that's like they could have marketed to girls too. And yet they didn't. Like they just put all of their eggs in their male basket. <laughs> they put all the eggs in the eggless basket. That's terrible metaphor. <laughs> I wonder what the thinking was then was just like, we're only going to market to boys for these toys. Like we're not even going to try girls because there's lots of these things I would have played with probably more regularly if I had seen myself depicted on screen playing with them. Yeah, I mean, and that's what led like to the creation of She-Ra is that they saw that some girls were playing with like the He-Man toys, but instead of just marketing He-Man to girls, they were like, let's do a whole different thing. So there was, I guess, this idea that you couldn't do both, like that that you had to pick a category. Where was the Transform Hers series? <laughs> And uh, just to shout out Peter Cullen, who is the voice of Optimus Prime, who you may also recognize as the voice of Eeyore. Oh, <laughs> he's still the voice of Optimus Prime to this day, right? Mm-hmm. Like Michael yeah. Bay movies. So now we'll move on to something that does not have a TV show or a movie or a comic book that I'm aware of. Nerf. What's better than hitting the mall? Hitting it with a Nerf slingshot. Allow us to demonstrate proper usage whilst you frolic. Locate target. Baby alert. Target located. Consequently, we can hit on them. Long distance! You gotta love it. Like we love mines? Definitely. Nah! The Nerf slingshot. Because it's Nerf or nothing. The first Nerf ball was launched in 1970 as the world's first indoor ball made out of foam. (laughs) One of the earliest commercials featured the monkeys as a joint promotion with Kool-Aid, sending in 20 box tops for a free ball. Hey, let's play ball! In the house? Sure! Hey, what are those things anyway? They're Nerf balls! Spongy foam! That doesn't hurt anything! Nerf balls! You're Nerf. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. That was a strange commercial. It was. I guess the monkeys are weird anyway. Well, people say they monkey around. How many monkey puns are we going to have on here? <laughs> that was it. That was it. The company later became known for its foam-based weaponry, such as the Nerf Blaster, introduced in the late 80s, which corresponded with an increasingly aggressive tone in their commercials. The It's Nerf or Nothing slogan was introduced in the 90s. Here, here's my impression of the commercial. Hey, fuckhead. <laughs> are you a little pussy? If you're not, then get a fucking Nerf and shoot your mom in the face with it. It's Nerf, or fuck your family. (laughs) And a related product, the Super Soaker, is a pressurized water gun now also owned by Hasbro under the Nerf line. It was originally conceived in 1982 by NASA engineer Lonnie Johnson while trying to create a new refrigeration system in his bathroom. It was first released in 1990 as the Power Drencher before the name change in 1991. It's a good change. So did you guys play with Nerf balls, various Nerf weaponry, super soakers? I had the whole arsenal of (laughs) Nerf. I was a huge fan of both Nerf and Super Soaker. I don't really consider Super Soaker a Nerf product, even though it technically is now. But I was just a huge fan of both of them. I had tons of Nerf stuff. I had Nerf balls, Nerf footballs, Nerf guns with the foam bullets. That was always really fun, just like to kind of have like an indoor ball and bouncing it off the wall to yourself. I don't think I played with like the Nerf balls too much with other people, but like the Nerf guns, I would definitely play with friends when they would come over 
you know, and I had next door neighbors I was good friends with and they would have their own Nerf arsenals that were totally different kinds of Nerf guns than I had. So like it was always kind of a fresh experience whenever they would come over and we'd play with those. As far as super soakers go, I was immediately, immediately like, I've got to fucking have this thing. Why did you want it when you were little? Because marketing. Right? I'm sure part of it was the marketing. But also, you know, like I talked about on our most recent episodes about like Indiana Jones, I loved to play outside with friends of mine in the summertime and like play with water balloons and super soakers and Nerf guns and like slip and slides and kiddie pools, like all of that kind of stuff. All kind of like came as a package deal to me for what it was like to grow up in the place where I grew up and just be around during the summertime. Because it was hot as fuck. Because it was hot as fuck. So you really like had to find ways of cooling down. But it was also the time of year when, you know, you weren't stuck inside a school all day. So you also like really wanted to take advantage of the sunshine and like go out and play a lot. So for me, it was kind of an immediate thing, you know, where like even just beyond the commercials, it was a really fun way to like cool off and play. And of course, like, you know, it was an extra treat when we would play with super soakers at friends' houses who had pools because he could then surreptitiously fill up the super soaker underwater and like surprise your friend because they thought your super soaker was empty. I was only ever allowed to have the smaller size super soakers, never the larger 200 models and up. So I would always really envy the kids who got the biggie size ones. And I remember that there was even like a flamethrower-ish model that had a full water backpack reservoir. And that just blew my damn mind as well. But yeah, you know, just like playing outside with friends in the summertime is to me one of the most abiding memories of just playing with toys at all. So that's part of the preparing for this episode that was the most fun for me was just kind of remembering back to that. I didn't play with Nerf. (laughs) So it was nothing. Yeah. For you, it was, it was nothing. nothing. I found it funny to even remember that Nerf is like a foamy ball because in my head, it's just water guns. When you were talking about indoor balls, I was like, oh, yeah, I did that too. <laughs> I think that I probably owned some, but maybe it was my sister that owned them. And I was just like, they were just in the house that I lived in. Uh, I think all 80s homes came complete with at least one Nerf Yeah, product. I have like memory. <laughs> See, I was younger than everybody, like my sister and my cousins. So I think whenever a water gun made an appearance, I felt anxious because I would not stand a chance against the older kids. And you would likely be the target yes, of the water Yes, so gun. I think that made me not want to play with them. If you don't have Nerf, you're just a target, as well, Devin Sawa tells us. Yes, I think it was Devin Sawa. Um, oh, he personally told me that. I'd recognize that butt cut anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that, like, when I think of Nerf, I'm just like, no, thank you. <laughs> like, Aww. I don't want it because I, I'm not a person that's like, yeah, I want to soak my friends and like i didn't have that relationship with the friends i did have of being like let's play a water you didn't gun want fight. To pretend to murder them yeah but like i just i didn't want to get wet myself so i didn't want to do it to other people like it was just i'm sorry making your friends wetter is not <laughs> pretending to murder them it's a gun so was a hose by that logic i'm bringing my kid up a lot but it's relevant that we were at the pool the other day and somebody like another kid brought a water gun a very small one but it was like pistol shaped you know like a gun and she wanted to play with it and i felt very strange like just my 
four-year-old holding a, a gun-shaped thing. Because at least a water gun, that like the super soaker thing is like, I don't know. It's a little bit different. But this was just like my daughter holding a gun in her hands. And it was like... Well, and see, when I was growing up, I had tiny plastic pistol-shaped water guns all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and And honestly, it's like, we don't have to go too far into it, but I also think that maybe part of that is the relative difference in the ways that gun culture exists in the places that we respectively grew up. You know, like being in the South, I was around a lot more guns than probably either of you were growing up where y'all did. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I thought anything of it when I was little, but I think no, absolutely. I think but something now. of it now, yeah, for sure. Um. Well, I'll reserve my thoughts besides Devin Sawa being in these commercials and Seth Green. Mm-hmm. Seth Green and his Oh My God is hair. <laughs> Some great 90s hair yeah. in the Super yeah. Soaker commercials. Some powerfully 90s hair. I had at least one Super Soaker, a Nerf ball or two. I feel like these were gifts. I mean, pretty much everything I had as a kid was a gift because you don't have your own money. <laughs> you didn't work down in the mines, Chris. These were things I don't think I ever asked for. When you're a kid, you get a lot of things that you kind of try out and you're like, oh, that's not really my thing. But you have a lot of toys that you don't necessarily gravitate toward. And that, that's kind of what these were. They were fine. I would sometimes play like pretend like live action, like running around kind of games, but they were still more character based. Like I am pretending to be He-Man versus I'm playing with a water gun and I want to get you wet and you want to get me wet. Like that wasn't the kind of thing I was into. But see, like, so when I would play with super soakers with friends, like we would often be playing like Ghostbusters or even like Star Trek or something like that, where like the super soakers would be phasers or they would be proton packs or something. Like we would kind of adapt that into our own kind of ongoing narratives. Yeah, that makes sense. So what did you think about watching these commercials now? I thought Nerf was an interesting one just because it was a brand that started earlier. And it started with a very practical idea, which was that a real baseball is too hard to throw in a house. So if you make a softer one, like kids can play with it indoors or whatever, like you won't get hurt playing with it. And you just see this evolution of this commercials, like from (laughs) like a football and a basketball, then there's ping pong and golf, and then there's fencing and it all goes downhill with fencing. (laughs) Because then there's a bow and arrow, and gradually it just becomes about launching projectiles at women and animals. <laughs> Nerf Gatling yeah. gun. So these commercials were so fucking aggressive. And either the boys are fighting each other with water guns, fighting in a war situation at each other, or they are teamed up to target a woman by the pool, rich people. Like, you know, they're teamed up to hurt other people. <laughs> That are not even equipped with the gun. It's a very falling down like scenario. <laughs> you think like, okay, they're just selling a water gun, but they're not. They're selling like what what boys should be. Mm-hmm. And it's just really <laughs> disconcerting. I don't know. Like, it's always like, I got you. <laughs> it doesn't look like they're having fun. It, it's like it's like a competition. And like you have triumphed over a weakling. You know, it's never just like, oh, we're having fun. Like, I would love to see a commercial of. Of Seth and your friends, like, pretending to have proton packs and, you know, just like... Well, that would be copyrighted. Well, yeah, but know, but just, just like, it's never collaborative with boys. It's always like, the only reason we're teamed up is to get someone else or we're going to fight each other. Yeah, and I mean, like, especially in the context of the Super Soaker commercials, it was almost like entirely and literally military-themed. 
where there were drill sergeants um, in a lot of the commercials kind of yelling at you as to why you needed to get this higher end super soaker and not just the smaller one. It was like, you know, kind of a metaphor for an arms race, really. Red team, mate, blue team. They're on with the new Laramie super soaker. XXP275 and 175. Double barrel. Four times the payload of your original super soaker. What do you do? Attack? Wrong answer. You run, run, run! <laughs> Let's pump the power up there before. XXP power gate shows how much power you're packing. 275's got adjustable numbers. Four different settings. That aspect of those commercials kind of turned me off at the time, even because I remembered like the seeing the drill sergeant type character and being like, this is obnoxious. This is not at all the way that I enjoy these toys. Like, I don't see myself as doing that. We wouldn't like go after like my mom or someone who wasn't. Mm-hmm you know, in a bathing suit or, like, prepared to be shot with a water gun or, you know, like, or have a water balloon thrown at them, for that matter. It felt like the bully's toy. Yes. And it felt like the toy that was geared toward making you, even if you were nerdy, making you powerful enough to take on bullies. Yeah, it's ironic that, the like, the original idea of the Nerf ball was take something hard and make it softer. And then it only ended up evolving into, but now hit people with it. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it's really crazy. And you see the evolution kind of of the 90s, which you see in all kinds of commercials, but just, like, much more obnoxious, like, voices and sound effects. <laughs> Not. Yeah. Oh, it got so much, it got so much louder. Uh, there are kids in leather in these commercials <laughs> that look basically like Terminator 2, I think mm-hmm. is what they're going for. Oh, they were very much going for T2. Yeah, yes. with sunglasses. And one of them, I don't think he actually was shirtless, but he was wearing like a very light colored shirt. So it almost looked like he was just wearing a leather jacket over a bare torso, which is a weird thing on a nine-year-old. There's one commercial with two outcast boys who dress in black and show up at a party with guns mm-hmm. and attack the popular people. Yep. Yeah, that holds up. <laughs> uh, yeah, the girl named Buffy spills red juice all over herself. They look more like Blues Brothers than anything. Trenchcoat re- Mafia? They yeah. were very Blues Brothers-y, that's true. <laughs> but it's really hard to watch that now. Like, it, it just feels like a mass shooting, and it's not fun to watch anymore. That That commercial would not be around today. I did look up modern day nerf commercials and there's not a ton like there used to be just because i think marketing has changed these days but there are girls in the ads using the water guns and you aren't they're not quite so violent like you see the most of the imagery is on the person's like spraying the water but not where it lands Mm -hmm. so it's less violent and more Mm -hmm. about having fun and that there's actually girls included yeah i i do think that they're that this marketing did kind of seep in and actually like inform maybe how a lot of people think about real guns now because it just it feels so similar to how people certain people you know not all people but that like this idea that like there are people after you and you can only protect yourself if you have this thing and the idea of using this to get revenge on unsuspecting people and people who like are looking down on you is just like the people who grew up with this, like that mentality, I think just like actually like became the mentality that people well, now have about actual weapons. 
sorry to play chicken and egg here, but the advertising of real guns toward those goals was very much an intentional thing by the 80s. The version of the NRA that exists now really had its start in the 80s with the guy Wayne LaPierre, who was the head of it starting at that time. And yeah, I would, if anything, say that the marketing for Super Soakers was more influenced by the marketing for real guns, which is horrifying to think about. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that this was marketed toward kids, so it just, like, infiltrates, like, a kid's brain early and then makes them susceptible to, like, that kind of marketing later on, too. And, like, I don't actually think there's anything wrong with these toys, really. I mean, I do, like, Becky feel maybe a little weird about, you know, handing even something that looks, like, colorful, like a gun to a kid, but, like... Ultimately, like, I think it's fine, you know, but the way that it's marketed makes it feel really sinister. And just with what happened, you know, after this time, just it's like, oh, like, probably shouldn't have had these kinds of commercials. That's the thesis for this whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the main toys that we want to talk about today. But we do want to mention some other things that we played with as well. I know a boy, his name is Zach. He loves to fit, he loves to stack. Yes, construction is his knack. He's Zach, the Lego maniac. He builds in the window, he's off the wall. He builds them big, he builds them small. In Lego land, he'll rock and roll. He's Lego wild, out of control. Zach, Zach, he's a Lego maniac. Zach, Lego Land, King's Castle Airport Cosmic Fleet Voyager, sold separately from Lego Systems. I never particularly played with Legos that much. Like, again, I had them and I would play with them a little bit, but they weren't like a favorite of mine. But Seth, did you play with Legos? I sure did. First off, I don't know why it never occurred to me, but the the name of the product is Lego. But I don't think I've ever heard anyone refer to it in the singular. Like, I feel like it's always been just Legos. As I think I've discussed on another episode of the podcast, I've been a lifelong Lego fan. I started by playing with Duplos as a bebe. Those were the very large size bricks made by the Lego company. And I quickly grew into loving Legos. Uh, The first commercial we watched for Lego in preparation for the podcast was for the Lego Space Collection. And my nostalgia bells rang like Mm -hmm. a Vegas slot machine jackpot. I had one of the great big, like, foot and a half long spaceship sets from the Lego Space Collection. And that was a huge achievement in toy ownership and building and a great toy moment for me. I remember seeing that ship in the box at Toys R Us on the shelf. And just pleading with my mom to get it for me. Hmm. I can't remember, but I don't think I got it that day. I think that was one of the ones where it was big enough that I had to wait for months and months until it was my birthday or Christmas. But it made me just so deeply happy to get that Lego model. And also just so fulfilled when I was able to like successfully build it. Did you build it multiple times or was it something that you would do like once and then be done with? So the way that it would usually go is that I would build it according to the instructions for the first time and then would play with it in that form for a while. And then I would usually disassemble the whole thing and start just using my imagination to come up with completely different things to build it into. That was always very much part of the thrill of it for me. But also it was like I was a huge NASA and Star Trek nerd and I already loved Lego very much. So it was kind of like faded that I would 
be into that kind of like Lego space collection. I remembered like watching the compilations of Lego commercials from the kind of different eras. There was a period at which they started kind of blatantly ripping off different movie franchises. Uh, Indiana Jones, perhaps? Yeah, they had this character, Johnny (laughs) Thunder, who was Indiana Jones. And also like Dino Island was just Jurassic Park. Yeah. I didn't get any of those sets where they were like clearly aping pop culture. Take yourself on a daring Lego adventure. The pyramids of Egypt, the magic ruby, evil villains everywhere, mystery, surprise, excitement, suspense, and danger. You can't find a way out, but you can build one. And who knows where that'll take you? The new Lego Adventurers Collection. Each set sold separately. I think at the time it seemed a bit crass to me, but I also kind of figured that the pieces in those sets were so specialized in particular that I think I was worried I wouldn't be able to like repurpose them into something totally different than what the original box set was going to be. So yeah, it was kind of unique because, you know, with nearly all of these toys, I was using them like just for their intended purpose or design. But with Legos in particular, it was a kind of way to flex my imagination in a couple different ways, like both with my kind of visual uh, imagination and that kind of thing following the directions, but then like really kind of like going off the reservation with it later on and like coming up with different things that were never imagined by the Lego people. For me, I feel like it was maybe stressful to like have to put together my own toys. To me, they weren't something that I would ever play with because they felt like some, like a project kind of. Because in theory, I think building a space station is something that would appeal to me. But for some reason, I don't think I ever saw that particular set. But there was something about like it being between like a project that you had to do that was kind of like in a finished form and a toy that like, I don't know, it kind of confused me or I just like didn't know what kind of thing I should be playing with. And I was thinking about exactly that and like wondering why it was that I got so into Legos. And then I remembered there was a brief, brief period where I started getting into like models, like the like die cast plastic models and like had like a model of the Saturn V rocket that was the one that made it to the moon and a model of a like a Ford Mustang and I very quickly got to a point with the models where I like I couldn't keep the the interest in that going because of exactly that because it was like oh well like the only purpose of this is to make it that final thing you can't really articulate any of the parts of it there's not really any way to play with these because the purpose of models is not to play with them it's to kind of display them and have them done And so it's funny because, like, I was thinking about that and, like, that was the exact thing that kind of knocked me out of being interested in models. Huh. And I think I felt like if I built the Lego, like, it was an accomplishment and I wanted to display it. But, like, I know some people display Legos, but it doesn't really feel like, especially, you know, something that you did as a kid is not something that you want to really display. So I was kind of like, I don't want to just, like, go through all that effort and just, like, tear it to pieces again. What about you, Becky? Did you play with Legos? Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Yeah, when your husband hears this, he's just going to shake his head. You guys have been in my house. Not you listeners, but 
people I'm with right now. Some of them. Uh, some of them, I'm sure. <laughs> we have a giant, giant, giant tub of Legos that are from the 80s because they're my husband's from when he was a kid. I'm talking about like a giant plastic tub. And then we have more Legos on top of that because my daughter is into Legos, like the Lego friends specifically. And I just, she wants to play Legos and I just don't know what my brain, I can put together like from the instructions and to me, that's a little bit like satisfying because it's like a puzzle. Mm -hmm. But like, if you tell me to just build something from scratch with a giant pile of Legos, like I'll be like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> like putting blocks together. And it just like, it's a mess. Like, yeah. I, like my brain does not function like an engineer's brain to like make something. Whereas my husband has made, like he's proudly displayed things he's made from his imagination like in our home and I'm kind of like do we really want to display that but he's very proud of them your house is actually made out of Legos <laughs> yeah. so I mean I think it's just a particular kind of personality or which is what you veer toward so. because my daughter's really into it but I think she likes to play with it more than build she likes seeing it come to life but then she wants to play with the little friends so I I really appreciate Lego like I think they're kind of amazing I now go on the Lego website because I, she just wants to look at stuff so I'll see all these different sets and I think it's like honestly amazing but it's just so like not anything in my entire life I've been into but I know I played with it when I was little it was one of the few barely gendered toys yeah my sister had like Legos, but they were it was like in a pink big pink or purple uh. tub like they couldn't be like just red and yellow and blue right. also i mean now that you say that too becky like it brings to mind just the fact that literally from my earliest memory of legos and the lego people there were always lots of women among them and like even just that is such a small thing but again it's like those small things kind of stick with you the Spielberg ripoff ones were definitely gendered toward boys. There was no, like, terms of endearment, like, or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was. I would have played with that. I um, really wish there was. Yeah. I, I want the Jack Nicholson. <laughs> That's a boy. I know. <laughs> so, like, watching these commercials, specifically the Johnny Thunder ones, which I did not remember i thought it was interesting it was like stop motion with the legos it showed all the things you could build but it didn't put the focus on the actual kid's face yeah of the kid playing it it was mostly just like hands and i thought that was interesting because i think earlier lego commercials were like looking at the boy the playing. wonder of it yeah, yeah the yeah. boy playing with it but then it became profile of the boy like very quick of the boy but more on like what he's building Versus, and the character yeah. of the Lego man who's yes. like animated and, and yeah, it was sentient. more about the character yeah. of the Lego. And I felt like that was a step in the right direction. Really? Like the right direction? Step in the right direction to not put the focus on the gender of the of the child playing. Oh, the gender. Yeah. And versus here's what you're getting as your product and what you can build. It's a, you know, Johnny Thunder's like Indiana Jones. Yeah. And I get that. It's like a male character. But as far as like the child itself playing could have been a girl. I see what you mean. Like for me, those commercials made me a little sad because I compared to like the space station, which is all about building something and kind of the excitement of the kid in the in the thing, which I think easily could have been a girl. Like I, I don't feel like Lego was too gendered. Those later commercials felt more gendered to me because mm. they 
about like action figure commercials and it was like focusing on like this evil villain is here and it's like Lego doesn't need villains like it's about building things and imagination so I was kind of sad to see it go in that direction but I think to kind of thread the needle of what you're both saying like I do think that the Lego commercials started drawing more from action figure commercials Mm -hmm. but to what Becky was saying I don't think that they were ever presenting it as like here's Lego a thing for boys to enjoy Mm-hmm. It was like, here's Lego, a super cool fucking thing that you can have fun with. Mm-hmm. And I, I totally agree with you. I think that was definitely a step in the right direction that a lot of companies did not follow. No. How do we feel about Zach the Lego Maniac? I had remembered the Lego Maniac, like that term. I totally forgotten about Zach. Um, clearly he and I did not spend any quality time together when I was growing up. He wasn't the love of your life? Honestly, no. And it's surprising to me, like, of all of these sets of commercials, I found the Lego ones the least familiar to me. Like, the space one definitely really resonated. But the rest of them, I'm sure I saw them a million times, but the imagery didn't really stick with me at all. No, I did not remember him from my youth. I didn't remember most of the Lego stuff very well either. And I think maybe that's because it's less obnoxious and just like less like in your face and like pounding these messages mm-hmm. home. Yeah, less of an earworm. Yeah. And probably also because I was less into Lego. So I just like tuned it out. But yeah, I, I found these a lot less memorable as well. So the last category of toys I think we should discuss <laughs> a little bit more is cars and vehicles of all types that do not transform into robots. So there are several different kinds of these Matchbox, Hot Wheels, Power Wheels, Tonka. Micro Machines. Micro Machines, yeah. All kinds of things with wheels, basically. Automobilia. I played with cars. But you're a girl. I know. I used my vagina. <laughs> what? I don't know. I hope not. No, I didn't. Um, I played with cars. I mean, cars are... That's a pow, pow, power wheel if I ever heard <laughs> I'm of. leaving that in the episode. Oh, power wheels. Let's get started on power wheels. I mean, the Barbie one. Who doesn't want that? A boy. <laughs> I wanted the Barbie power wheels so fucking bad. Never got a power wheels. Never I feel like one. power wheels only existed for like one rich kid to have and everyone else... It's, it's just like a, it's like a Tesla or something. I literally wrote that. Power Wheels was one of the biggest objects of envy for me as a child. Like, it felt like all the cool rich kids had pow, pow, Power Wheels, and I was left behind in the fucking dust. It was a status symbol, it honestly. Was. It, it was really like, was. It was <laughs> conspicuous consumption, baby. And I don't even think I would have really liked one that much, because, like, I... Like, I wasn't that into, like, car. And, like, you would just drive it, and I'd be like, okay, fine. Like, I wouldn't have gotten that much out of it. They need an oil change every five miles. <laughs> just the fact that, like, I couldn't have one mm-hmm. made me want one. Yes! Because you also needed the space to be able to drive it places. Like, you can't just have it in an apartment, like a two-bedroom apartment. I, I begged, I begged, and I pleaded with my parents to get me a Power Wheels. It never happened. The only Power Wheels I ever drove were the Barbie Power Wheels. Mm. And I don't even remember which of my friends had them. But I swear, I know that I drove both the Barbie Power Wheels Jeep, because they had a pink Jeep, Mm -hmm. and the pink fucking Corvette. Yeah. And I drove both of them. Those and golf carts and go-karts were my earliest driving experiences. And I didn't ever get a Power Wheels of my own until I got a car. But yeah, I I just... uh, the. And again, it's I'm sure the desire that was placed in my heart by those commercials was about 100% of the reason why I wanted one. 
Um, there was really nothing practical about it in any sense of the word. You couldn't, like, go around the neighborhood in a Power Wheels. It simply didn't have the range. <laughs> um, but just the idea of it and the the bragging rights, if you had it, seemed so alluring for me. I gotta say, like, I'm looking up prices now for Power Wheels, and it's not, like, unbelievable. It's, like, between 150 and 300, and some are, like, a little bit more than that. I could totally get my daughter one, but, like, I don't know. Like, where am I gonna go with her? <laughs> like, I feel like you gotta keep an eye on your kid with a Power Wheel, because they, they <laughs> yeah. might just be taking I off. I don't want her going into traffic. <laughs> she'll be on the freeway, <laughs> like, calling you from a Barbie cell phone. But to me, it, like, always felt like something that was, like, thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, like of course my parents can't get me one because they're not, like, wealthy. <laughs> yeah, I had that sense, too. And it's, like, my, I'm sure my parents could have. And maybe if I had begged, they would have. But it just felt like it was just kind of at a price point that, like, you didn't ask for as a kid, I guess. Maybe that was part of the marketing. Oh, my God. There's a Jurassic Park one. And if I had known about that, I would have. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, definitely asked for it. Would you pay $350? Honestly, I was 11 or so, so I probably maybe was a little too old for that. He would have <laughs> traded his sister for that. Do you want to buy my kid that for her day? She'll take you around in it. Uh, 150 300 No, I'm sorry. It is, it is a little out of my price range for a gift for a child. And like, as for the other of the car toys here, I know I had some of the Hot Wheels, but I was never into them as a brand. I never had any of the play sets, which I know they had a ton of play sets. What did you do when you needed a Happy Meal? That's the thing. I think I only got my Hot Wheels toys from Happy Meals. And it, I totally had forgotten that until you mentioned the tie-in. And I was like, oh, that's probably where literally 100% of my Hot Wheels came from. Yeah, like I didn't want the Barbies, but I also didn't really care about the Hot Wheels. So it was like a weird, I was like, do I not have a gender? Like I'm not represented here. <laughs> and also they had all of these commercials that we watched in preparation for this that were like straight up propaganda. One of them here was literally like, you get to be the hero cop with a self-satisfied kid, like, dressed as a cop. Mm -hmm. I picked that one as bait for you. Of course. I know you did. I know you did. Matchbox cars, I definitely remembered. And I think I liked those a bit more because they seemed maybe a bit more realistic. But I also wasn't super into them either. You know, and, and by this point, I was very much a car nerd. Like, I was like... When we would like go to go to the bookstores like Walden Books and Barnes and Noble or something, I would like pick up car magazines and look at them. I had a what? I had a very brief but intense car nerd phase. Hmm. Um, like I said, like I got a model of a late model 1990s Ford Mustang because I was so into cars. And I never gave a fuck shit about Tonka. And at this point, <laughs> Like, I, I recognize why, because there were all oh, these shit. these fucking ugly-ass pickup trucks and Jeeps. They were absolutely not my kind of car in the slightest. You they didn't were, drive a dump truck? Yeah, exactly. They were fucking ugly as sin, and, like, they weren't even cool as cars. And then they didn't really have any functions other than that. I've never heard such an angry takedown of Tonka. Fuck why? Tonka. <laughs> why don't you drive? Drive a Tonka! Fun and adventure, that's what you get when you drive Tonka trucks like Mudrunner, Roving Wrecker, and Jeep CJ, each sold separately. Trucks so rugged, so powerful, you know they're Tonkas. Someday you'll be driving one of these. Till then, keep driving those Tonkas. Why don't you drive? Drive a Tonka! 
Mudrunner Jeep CJ and Rovin Wrecker come with everything shown here, each sold separately from Tonka. But I actually, I was really surprised by the Tonka marketing because, like, I think I had one when I was, like, three or something. Like, it, it's like a construction truck. So I always associate it with something as, like, you know, that basically has no personality that you just play with as a very tiny kid. But the marketing felt like some of the most aggressive marketing. It was all about how tough the trucks are. And even before the 80s, there's, like, a famous commercial of them, like, rolling a truck down a hill. Like, a, a real truck and a, and a Tonka trunk. Something that I associated with being such, like, an innocent thing felt very, very aggressively, like, masculine. And, and like, it had a class to it. Like, like a blue-collar, like, yes, appeal. Yes, very much. And in a way that doesn't, f- that isn't tonally, and in terms of volume, as aggressive and shouty as many of the other types of toy commercials that we watched for this. Which made it feel worse. Which made it feel worse and more aggressively targeted in that way. Yeah, that was very surprising, actually, because I do not remember Tonka commercials. The other commercial that stood out to me was one of the Hot Wheels ones for a Auto City garage. Yes. Which is basically like kids, I'm sure they're boys, ooing and aahing over this playset where it's like you're in a parking garage, then you have to go get a car wash, <laughs> and then you get pulled over by the cops. It was just like <laughs> what it's a the night. Hot Wheels, like average day in LA playset. Like I was just like, this is just every day now. Like this is not fun. Yeah. Kids, play something else. Nary a day goes by when I don't leave a parking garage, go to get a car wash, and then immediately need police assistance and an airlift. That's the part you left out. Is that there's like a fire department airlift that also comes? Well, naturally. Um, we can't not talk about micro machines, which I think is what that's the kind of car I think I played with. These tiny itty bitty cars. I think I liked them because I could take them a lot of places. Like they were just so tiny, they could fit in a pocket. I had a lot of micro machines, and of course, we're gonna need to include a clip from the commercials. Yeah, the micro machine guy. The micro machine guy who talked at a million miles a second. He was legendary. This is the Micro Machine Man presenting the most midget miniature motorcade of Micro Machine. Each one has dramatic details, terrific trim, precision paint jobs, plus incredible Micro Machine pocket play sets. There's a police station, fire station, restaurant, service station, and more. Perfect pocket portables to take any place. And there are many miniature play sets to play with, and each one comes with its own special edition Micro Machine vehicle and fun, fantastic features that miraculously move. Raise the boat lift at the airport marina, man the gun turret at the army base, clean your car at the car wash, raise the toll bridge. And these play sets fit together to form a Micro Machine world. Micro Machine pocket play sets, so tremendously tiny, so perfectly precise, so dazzlingly detailed, you'll want to pocket them all. Micro Machines are Micro Machine pocket play sets sold separately from Galoob. The smaller they are, the better they are. He taught me what it's like to be a man. <laughs> By talking a very fast. fast talking man. <laughs> a man in a hurry. Again, women drive cars. <laughs> there's nothing... I need about, evidence of this. There's nothing gendered about a car, It's but it's how it was marketed to only boys. To, like, it, boys are the ones that only got, like, the things that require speed and physicality. Mm-hmm. Nothing about being emotional or nurturing. It's all just, like, fast, fast, go, go, punch, punch. Punch is an emotion, isn't it? <laughs> like, that's what I've um noticed just overall... With everything is that through all through line of all of these commercials that we've seen for boys are be aggressive, be violent, be antagonistic warriors. You have to defeat someone. You have to defeat the other. And the only alternative is you can be an explorer or a problem solver. 
And they're always depicted as loners. Like I said earlier, they're either fighting another boy or they have teamed up and they're only cooperative to take someone else down. Like that's the goal is to defeat someone else. It's very apparent that like the people that created these ads grew up in the 60s where men in general were taught don't have feelings. You know, it's a doggy dog world. If you want to be successful, you have to be on the offensive. But to be a man is to defend your family, defend your country. Defeat your enemy. Defeat your enemy. There's no room for being a good father (laughs) or being a good friend or being nurturing in any way or being in touch with your emotions. No, giving your bros a little forehead kiss and tucking them in at night. <laughs> Not at all. It's getting all. weird. <laughs> I get why you're saying that. As someone who is like a fan of a lot of these things, like I still see so much of the imagination in things like He Man and Transformers. And even though there are a lot, there's a fair amount of aggression in them. Like to me, they're more about a fantasy kind of. And, and but that's how you played with it, not how it was marketed. Right. That's the thing is, uh, and that ultimately I think is what was so fucked up. (laughs) Those commercials in particular is that they're representing the narrowest little sliver of what is possible with toys like that. I think by the times that we're talking about the 80s and the 90s, market research was a thing. Polling and, you know, like uh, market research surveys of people were absolutely a thing. And I'm sure that this was a time period in which those companies had to lean into the thing that they thought was the easiest bet to get them the largest amount of money the quickest that they could while spending the least amount of money possible. Like, I'm sure that all of those decisions were dictated by economic incentives that were that stark on the surface. But it's unfortunate because it not only, I think, shortchanged what was possible with those toys, I think it also communicated a lot of messages to young boys and to young girls at that age, I'm sure as well, but especially to young boys, a lot of really destructive and limiting and myopic messages about what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a grown-up, what it means to be a child, what it means to be a friend, all of that stuff. And I don't think that any of the companies involved had any idea what the impact of those advertisements could be, aside from whether or not they could get you to buy the toy. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that I noticed because we were watching so many commercials back-to-back, and that's when it really becomes apparent like any one of these commercials in isolation like only a couple of them really feel like whoa that like there's a problem here but most of them feel very benign but then when you watch like 80 of them in a row you start to see the same message that's hammered home over and over and over again and it starts to be like wow like for you know 15 years i was getting this message that i you know you're not necessarily actively paying attention to commercials like you're watching them because they're between something else that you want to watch and in these cases like (laughs) the thing that you're watching is also a very long commercial selling you pretty much the same thing but like you're you're not like thinking about commercials like they're meant to be kind of passively received And so when you start actively watching them like this, like, it's very weird to, like, suddenly realize that you've been, like, kind of fed this message that you weren't. And, you know, at the time we were much too young to even, like, think critically about this at all. It was just like, wow, okay, that's the message I was getting for so long that I didn't even really actively know I was getting. It's funny, like, have all the streamers and we pay for, like, the no ad version. Um... But I go on YouTube 
um, sometimes with my daughter and there are ads there and we just start, I, I, she now knows them as boo ads <laughs> because we just talk over them and say, boo ads, boo. I don't want her to pay attention because she thankfully doesn't get it too many places. But like, I'm more concerned about the, the advertising than whatever program we're going to watch because it's, it is so passive that your subconscious, like it, it goes into your subconscious and you pick up these things over time of how you're supposed to be in the world and what's normal. And they've done research specifically on like the gender implications and angles of that and also on the, the racial aspects of it. And it's like children before preschool age mm -hmm. have internalized racial and gender norms that are overtly bigoted, like before they are even really able to read. <laughs> Let's get out of here! I'm staying! I'm not a scaredy cat! No, but you could be a dead cat! Six. Quick, swim to shore! At even the hint of a thunderstorm, get right out of the water! Thanks, your advice is... Electrifying! If this happens again, you'll know what to do! No, I know! And knowing is half the battle! G.I. And that's all the injection-molded plastic we have time for on this episode of When We Were Young. On our next episode, we're going to be taking a look at quote-unquote girls' toys. That includes Barbie, Gem and the Holograms, Cabbage Patch Kids, My Little Pony, maybe some Popples in there, a Rainbow Bright or two, Huggables, Quince. Do you remember any of these? <laughs> My eyes glazed over several minutes ago. <laughs> The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you get your podcast product. Follow us on all the social medias and contribute to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash young. I have been Seth. I'm Becky. And I am She-Ra. <laughs> is that what she says? <laughs>